You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. We have Catherine Tyndall on the call, and uh, Catherine is here to help us prepare for tax season. And I know it's November, but Catherine just told me before we hit record that this is the best time to prepare for your taxes. So Yeah, so I'm a CPA, and I work mostly with uh, closely held businesses, real estate investors, people that have that kind of complexity going on. And for most people that have that level of complexity, this time of year is the best time to do your tax planning. Um, I think even in November before December is a good time to get started because if you're planning any transactions or you're trying to figure out how to maybe shelter some of the fallout from some things that happened earlier in the year, now's a good time of year to meet up with your tax professional and get everything sorted out, figure out what you're going to have to do for estimated payments. And if there's any other planning techniques you can do before year end to make sure that you're limiting your tax exposure as much as possible. Well, let's take a step back, like uh, just a hair before you engage your tax professional, or is there some things that you would recommend that they get in line first um, and uh, have them already kind of save you some cycles? Yeah. I think for most tax professionals, the thing that drives us nuts the most is when people don't have good records um, because we're not bookkeepers usually. So it's good to have all your books and records in really good shape so that if we ask for things like a year-to-date profit and loss or if we want closing documents or anything like that, if you get into the good habit of keeping those things organized and especially keeping your um, QuickBooks and your accounting information up to date, that's going to be the most helpful for us to be able to do planning. And I think on top of that, really being if you don't already have a proactive relationship with your your CPA or your tax professional, reaching out to them now to put something on their schedule and, and intentionally go into wanting to have a planning meeting with them is really going to help move that process along. Because I know a lot of other tax professionals that I've met in the field, they really just want to make sure that you're compliant and for you to come up with, come to them with some of the you know the interest of wanting to do planning and wanting to do more that's going to serve you better than just waiting till the end of the year to make sure that your compliance work is done yeah as as entrepreneurs though i i know that you know i hate to pull us all together in that same uh, thing you know paperwork and having this what you're talking about is almost a mountain that nobody wants to climb yeah and i know that you specialize in automation and processes and everything associated with your business to, to help with this type of thing. Is, is there anything on the entrepreneur or the real estate investor, anything that we can proactively use uh, a tool or tools to help us with this? Yeah. So I'd say for most <clears throat> entrepreneurs, if you're a serious person, you really should have a specialized bookkeeper working on your financial information. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is they really try to DIY it for far too long when it comes to their books and records. And the reason I say that is it takes up a lot of time. Accounting is its own language in a way. And so even if 
you go on QuickBooks online and you feel like you've got it under control, very often there are going to be things that are wrong in there and your tax preparer will probably fix them and just sweep them up and put them into a tax return and and not really bring it to your attention most of the time. But I find for most people who try to DIY it for too long, it ends up, um, you know, it's it's not a profit producing activity for you. So the more you can have people on your team to do those things for you and then work with things like automations can make it so that you really don't have to deal with this stuff too much. And I think on the automation side of it, there's a lot of really great tools out there that if you work with a more modern bookkeeper, they'll be able to handle your information really effortlessly. Uh, tools like QuickBooks Online is a good example where they are able to automate bank feed information. And there's other tools that I use that automatically connect collect bank statements from different bank accounts and things like that. Getting a kind of system in place when you think about how you're going to deal with the record keeping problem that comes with real estate, because that's a, it's a big issue for real mm-hmm. estate is the record keeping um, and keeping everything segregated so that you have the reports that you want to be able to make decisions, but also that it's segregated how it needs to be for how a tax return is filed, um, you know, which typically is property by property basis. And so to have those systems set up ahead of time is really helpful. And that's something that you can talk to a tax, tax professional like me about, and also coordinating with like a bookkeeping function or some other third party that's going to handle a lot of the heavy lifting of translating what goes on in your bank statements into usable financial data for you and for your tax professional. Yeah. Do, have you found that some people will, you know, I, we've, I'm kind of a fan of the profit first with Mike McCallowitz. Yeah, Yeah. That's a you great know. book. Yeah. Um, so, and Mike's been on the show, just got to do a general plug, but anyway, um, uh, one of the things that he suggests is like in this case, for example, real estate investing, you're having different accounts and multiple accounts for that one property um, mm-hmm. to kind of keep things organized. And yeah. and I know that there's been an ongoing debate w- it, legally whether you should have even an LLC for each property. But do you find that accounting and bookkeeping and then come to tax preparation, does that help? your job in the end, if, if things are segregated out like that, to that extent? Yeah, because it's always easy. It's, you know, it, it depends. And I think this is something where it's when you're, when you're going to set these things up, it's good to establish that relationship with a tax professional at that time and have a planning meeting where you talk to them about, okay, this is how we want to set up our chart of accounts. This is how we want to set up our entities. What do you think about this? Because it's a highly personal question. It really depends on the nature of the property, the nature of what entity structures you have going on. If everything's in different LLCs and does it make sense to do certain groupings a certain way because of the way that, you know, the tax code interacts with each other uh, based on, you know, which properties are kicking off profits, which are not, uh, you know, your level of participation in it. So it really depends on, on what you've got going on. And that's, I think that's why it's good to have a, an established relationship before you start doing everything so that you're not coming to somebody at the end of the year with a shoebox <laughs> or something that's too segmented. I've had it, you know, I've had people, um, I've seen, I've seen records where it's like 50, 60, 70 accounts for one property, you know, on a chart of accounts. And it's just mm-hmm. too much. It's way too much detail. And it's, it's too much detail for them to be able to use it for meaningful decisions. And it, it's, way too much detail for us on the tax side of it. So 
it's just a good thing to to talk to somebody about beforehand. No, that make that makes a lot of sense. So just to remind everybody here, and I, I don't know if I, I did it properly at f- first when we were doing the intros, but you can find a lot of information regarding uh, what we're talking about here at dominions.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes, but it's dominions.com. Um, so you reach out to Catherine and her team and see how they can help you. Uh, with that, uh, do you pretty much, is it countrywide or do you kind of specialize in a specific area of the country? Yeah. So our practice, the nice thing about a CPA license is it's good in every state. And my practice is pretty much 100% remote and virtual. So we work with clients all over the country. Our specialty area of interest is more tax planning work. So we really only work with clients that have that level of complexity that they need planning work done. And that I, I joke that we, you know, we're a profit center for you, not an expense, because we try to make sure that the work that we're doing is, is going to generate a good ROI for you. And that's kind of the drive of our client relationships and our practice. So on average, when somebody's engaged you, I know this is a pretty loaded question, but what would you yeah. say on average is the ROI in those situations? Well, we may, we only we only work with clients where it's going to be a minimum two hundred percent. So, you know, ideally, I like it higher than that, um, but it just depends on the level of complexity that they've got going on and what we can do for them. Because for some people, if they're not really paying that much in tax, doing certain moves are not going to really be that beneficial for them, and. Um, so it just really depends. But usually for people, if we can't find an ROI with them, we'll find them another tax professional to work with because we've found that that's the best way to have relationships that are a win for us and a win for the client every time. Sure. I'm sure there's a lot of things going on with the tax system right now and they're changing, it seems like all the time. It's got to be a full-time job just staying in front of a few things. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot that's pending legislation that can be kind of spooky for people, especially because there's no um, there's no protections against retroactive tax laws being passed. So I know a big one that most people in real estate have been concerned about is the like 1031 exchanges were on the chopping block and then the cap gains rates are supposedly going to go up. But it just all depends on how it passes through legislation. And at this point, we don't have any final answers, though it looks like they're getting closer to passing the legislation. But even you know, from a couple of weeks ago to today, they're still changing some provisions with some pretty significant significant percentage changes and dollar changes. So it's it's really hard to plan based on that at this point, but it's something to definitely be aware of. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about like what are some of the most uh, the biggest things, the biggest bang for your buck that you've found in doing the, this now, like some owner comes to you I'm sure there's some low hanging fruit mm. that uh, they could have been taking advantage of, but the previous people, or they just weren't aware of it. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, you know, when, when you engage a tax professional, for the most part, they're not salespeople. Like you've come to them to do a compliance job and and that's what they do. And they do a good job with it what we try to do is more the planning work. And so when people come to me, it's usually a lot of same similar things, right? So I'll look at, can we do a cost egg? Does that make sense? Um, you know, are your entity structures set up correctly? Does it, does it make sense how things have been grouped on the tax return? You know, 
the other thing we consider a lot too is should you be considered active in your real estate or passive in your real estate? And it depends on the rest of the portfolio that you've got going on and and what else is going on in your life. Um, another big one is just looking for errors in previous previous preparers, um, you know, activities because not everybody specializes in these more nuanced topics that come in with real estate taxation. But it's a lot of those kinds of factors. Uh, the big one is the the qualified business income deduction too, making sure that that's being maximized. And then, as people are considering things like selling properties, you know, it's the ten thirty one exchanges, it's the different trusts, you know, structures, and then more complex third party like specialty tax products that you could use to try to defer those capital gains or eliminate those capital gains. Uh, those are the kinds of things that we consider, but it, it depends on what the pain point somebody's feeling. If it's income tax, there's those are the kinds of low hanging fruit with you know the QBI deduction, groupings, entity selection, other income shifting things we can do. You know, if you've got a piece of property and you've got a bunch of family members that you're very close with that you want to share that with, are there ways that we can shift income around? So that it's coming out of higher brackets into lower brackets of other family members, things like that, or a lot of those things I consider when I do planning work with people. Mm -hmm. You said that you mentioned that two hundred percent return on that ROI. Can you give us a high level example of like one of your best turnarounds, like some a customer that you came to you and they weren't taking advantage of a number of these items, and you were able to they were able to realize a significant. ROI. Yeah, I had someone recently where I think his let me see what it ended up being, but I think his fee was maybe seven thousand or something in planning, and we were able to find him over fifty thousand in the first year tax savings. And a good chunk of that's going to be recurring, so you know we can. <laughs> I'm not I'm not tempted to do a calculation live on a podcast to give you an, an <laughs> ROI figure for that but <laughs> no that makes sense though because you can this is realized year over year I mean you mm-hmm. you mentioned it's a first first year savings but that's significant and it's a perfect example of hiring the right people for the right job like you said a lot of people I mean in your town you might it's great that we we leverage networking and a, and a few other things to to find somebody to do your tax preparation, yeah. but it's another thing to find somebody who specializes and has or has that specialization in real estate because there are a, quite a few nuances that they should be aware mm-hmm. of that an, an a normal or an average tax preparer may not be if they haven't touched it, touched that type of thing a lot. Yeah, and I think for most of them, it's it's more the, part of it is just the mindset that goes into it. So for this one person, that the transformation we were able to get, he did have to modify some of his behaviors because some of the activity revolved around the use of a, of a vacation property that he had, and so it's rules that a normal tax preparer would be aware of. But to do the digging and say, okay, we need to change some of your behaviors so that as this income and as these deductions go through the tax funnel, they go through it this way instead of the way you were going to do it. And it's more that proactive relationship combined with the more advanced specialization with planning is what makes the magic happen, I think, for most for our client relationships. Yeah. And and, and I, I like the, the fact that it sounds like your team is very pro- proactive. In fact, we've I've I've actually have asked other uh, 
tax consultants and and tax preparers if they could have this type of relationship you know actually proactively consult and and point us in the right direction on a few things and and it was surprising how many people kind of wanted to avoid that type of yeah. relationship <laughs> yeah no well cuz it's i think part of it for most tax and this is what i experienced working at some other firms is you know a typical partner to client ratio is 400 clients to one partner um, so you can imagine if you have a client coming to you say, Hey, can you do more work? The answer is going to be no <laughs> versus for us, we intentionally maintain it's under a hundred clients per partner ratio. And that's the max because we've found that if you get too many, you just, you can't have that kind of relationship. And so if we're going to be proactive advisors, we have to have the space for that. So you earlier you mentioned something about COVID tax credits or something. Could you talk a little bit about that and what that would mean to an investor? Yeah. So for a lot of real estate investors, there are some COVID tax credits that did come out. And I think for people where if you've got real estate investments, but then you've also got other business activities going on, that's where you can get a, a combination of these these credits to work out really well for you. One of them is the employee retention credit. That's a really nice credit. Um, it's several thousand dollars per employee if you you know qual- meet the qualifying standards. And so, if you're already working with a tax professional, please do reach out to them about it because a lot of people who didn't think they were eligible because they got PPP funding, you actually can be. And so, that's it's a very detailed um, process of who's eligible, who isn't. But it's that one's worth a phone call to your tax professional about in particular. Um, and so, I. I would definitely recommend recommend that. A lot of people got to take advantage of the PPP program, which is no longer around, um, you know, which is good because I think with a lot of these different credit provisions that were put out there, it's so that, you know, the government wanted to speed the economy back up again. So that was the the main goal with them. And now that some of the programs are starting to phase out, so for instance, the uh, employee retention credit in recent, just like a couple of days ago, Congress kind of shut that one down for the fourth quarter, except for new businesses. So that's one where, you know, you can still go back and retroactively get for the previous quarters if you were eligible for it. But we're now just starting to see those phase out, but they are still open for people to consider. Sure. Yeah. This, this whole COVID thing, especially when it comes to real estate investors and, and people holding rental properties, uh, it had been an interesting ride, especially depending on the state you were in. Yeah, for sure. No, it was uh, it it was uh, interesting to see the ripples through the economy when you shut down economic activity for you know months at a time. And I think it it was weird because I'm I'm outside. I'm in Greater Boston, is where my practice is physically located, and, and a lot of our clients are Greater Boston. But uh, to see what happened in real estate after everything opened up and just the level of bottleneck that everyone was experiencing, it, it's just there was no inventory. It was impossible to buy, <laughs> impossible to buy anything where we were. And yeah. so it's just it's been interesting to see because I think for some people where they wanted to do 1031 exchanges, there was no inventory to exchange into. Um, and so the, it just made it tough on the planning side for people. Yeah, no, it it was it was definitely interesting to say the least. And you know, we had a, a couple uh, fix and flips at the time, and coming out of the pandemic, and it, things were starting to open up again. Uh, they they were it, they were snatched up really quick. Um, 
things have started to slow down again, but uh, yeah. man, early on, there was some serious appetite for newly rehabbed homes. I suppose yeah, they were tired sure. of their existing surroundings at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the thing too, that I've seen a lot more this year is people having short-term capital gains from that, like a property where they normally would have been able to sit on it for a couple of years, spread it out, get the long-term rate. They just, they bought it. It went right up and sold it. And so they kind of, some of them, you know, they get stuck with that short-term rate, which is your ordinary income tax rate, which nobody wants because for them, they they couldn't find the inventory to, to get it into a 1031. It's a good problem to have in a way, um, you know, to be able to make a quick return, but to not be able to defer income tax would be really tough on those. Sure. So, uh, you know, it says that you're a partner of DominionES.com. Uh, Dominion, uh, are, were you one of the founding members there too then? Yeah. So it's myself. And then we have, there's another partner, Skylar. Uh, we both have the tax planning specialty and we both kind of have that same love for automating the administrative annoying things for clients and for ourselves so that we can put the emphasis on the client relationships and having the space for that. So so how long have you been doing this as, as Dominion? Um, I've had I've been in the practice for almost three years now. But I've sure. been in public accounting since 2013. So what made you decide to go on on your own? I think part of it was the kind of relationship that I wanted to have with clients wasn't something that I could see as being easily done at other CPA firms that I had worked at. Um, and then also, to for a lot of younger people in the profession, it really burns them out. So when you have a ton of compliance clients and everybody's due date is March 15th and April 15th. It just creates a lot of burnout in the profession. So part of what I wanted to do with switching into a more advisory focused CPA firm was to have the space to be able to give much better outcomes to a smaller number of clients and to have closer, closer relationships with those clients to really be more impactful and, and let them be able to, you know, I have all this tax code up in my head but it doesn't serve them if they're not able to act on it and really get the advantage of it. It's one thing to file a tax return at the end of the year. It's another thing to be able to change their behaviors based on how the code's written so that we really squeeze the most out of what's there. So if you don't mind me asking then, many CPAs that I'm, I, I'm familiar with are very analytical. What decision tree did you go through in order to make to decide to make the jump to being an entrepreneur? Well, I think part of it is I grew up, my parents were both tax professionals. So I think I, it's it's funny. I started off in medicine because I really wanted to help people. And the farther I, I went into medicine, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to help people the way I wanted because I'm very relationship oriented personally. And seeing what my parents were able to do in their practice is what got me with the tax bug. Um, but I always knew, even when I was in school for accounting, that I wanted to have my own practice someday, just because uh, on top of the analytical thing, I think it's being able to have the control over the relationships and have a certain number of um, you know, uh, pro bono work for people and, and things like that. That was part of what made me made the jump. So you had a pretty much a direct uh it's an ex direct example within your life that you could you could pull from a little bit. 
Yeah. And I think seeing some of the, some of the things that happened when I was a kid, like the, uh, you know, the trip to the post office at midnight when we're in our PJs getting the last couple of returns in, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. I was like, you know what, there's a way around this. You don't have to, <laughs> we can fix this. <laughs> so I think that was uh, part of the dream with the automation and the technology. Right. Right. No, this has been a great conversation at, at uh, and it's quite the eye-opener. I, I hope you'll consider coming back sometime and just remind everybody, head over to dominions.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But uh, as I warned you, is there, a quest- is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today? Hmm. I think we pretty much covered everything that I would want you to ask about. <laughs> um, I think the main the main question maybe is just, how, you know, if somebody already has a good relationship with their professional, how could you make it better? Sure. Um, and I, I think for most people, like I said, we're not, most accountants are not salespeople. And so I think if you approach them with saying, hey, I would like a relationship that's that's you more as an advisor to me than just you doing my tax returns. I think a lot of tax professionals are open to that. They're just, you know, so busy with the compliance part of it that they don't, see the other side of that. And so I think for a lot of people where you already have a good relationship with that person to come to them and say, Hey, can we do more? Like, can I have a quarterly planning meeting with you? And Hey, I'm considering this transaction or I'm considering this sale. Can you do some projections for me? Can we figure out a way to maybe lower this liability or, Hey, can you help me figure out what it's going to be? So at least I know my tax exposure before I do this. And I think a lot of tax professionals are totally open to that. And, and, like that. And they kind of, they wait for the client to move first instead of them moving first. So if that's, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the little alcohol in April sent their way doesn't, doesn't hurt either. Yes. That's probably the other one too, is be <laughs> nice to your tax professionals. Imagine if every single piece of work that you had to do was all due on one day <laughs> and you had two months to do it. Right. And and I can't even imagine the amount of clients that send things at the last minute. Yeah. I think that's the other the other thing that really drives a lot of us crazy is please try to send everything you have and not piecemeal and please send it as early as you can because we we have such a short time frame of being able to do a lot of work. So it it helps a lot. So, well, I hope you'll consider coming back. This was a great conversation. And uh, again, it's dominions.com. Yeah, I'd love to come back. And maybe if, if the uh, the tax proposals all pass, we can do a, a second round where I go into more detail on what what's passed and how it affects real estate investors. Because there's a lot of pieces in there that I think will affect a lot of your listeners. Yeah, maybe we should do it around like a, a fine Friday, the nearest Friday the 13th, and you can just scare everybody. <laughs> I know it's too bad that it didn't pass for Halloween. Yeah. Uh, nothing more, nothing more spooky than a cap gains rate increase. <laughs> <laughs> Especially <in> retroactive. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you. This was a great conversation. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes, and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated. 
along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time, and tell a friend.